chapter 11. This morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As I mentioned earlier, verses 17 through 34. So we all know that there's a big difference between just getting something done and getting it done right. Uh, In high school and in college, I spent a few summers with my stepdad roofing, and it was brutal, just as you might imagine. And he was very careful about not just wanting to get things done, as me and my brother sometimes were, but he wanted them done right, the right way. And so it's really one reason he had a hard time hiring other people, um, because they just weren't invested in the work like he was. They weren't invested in the quality of the work like he was. They just wanted to get it done so they could be done with the day. And so sometimes they were careless in their approach. They weren't thoughtful about what they were doing or about doing it right. But if you merely get a roof done without doing it right, you're going to be back there over and over and over again fixing what you didn't get right, making it right for the customer. There are consequences to not doing things right. So a bridge builder is careful to construct a bridge exactly according to the specifications so it will be safe for those who cross it, so it won't crash when someone's on it. An accountant pays very careful attention to the details and to the numbers so his clients won't get into financial trouble or trouble with the IRS. You, you probably take great care in doing your taxes if you do them. A judge takes great care to hear all of the facts so that he can make a good and just decision. And yet, all too often, Christians and churches aren't careful with how they handle the things of God. Some may have the tendency to approach spiritual things with a carelessness, with a thoughtlessness. So let us consider this morning, uh, brothers and sisters, how we approach the things of God, how we approach our gatherings together, how we approach the hearing and of the reading and preaching of God's word, how we approach the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, how we approach prayer together. We should take great care in these things. And in our text this morning, the emphasis is on the carefulness with which we should approach communion, the Lord's Supper. So look at our text, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. But that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Dear Father, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts by means of your Holy Spirit. Please help us to accompany the hearing of your word with faith. That we would believe everything you have to say to us, and that we would obey it for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our theme is this. <clears throat> we celebrate the Lord's Supper rightly when we are careful to make it about Christ and our unity in Christ. The thread which runs through this passage in particular is the contrast between carelessness and carefulness. So we see the carelessness which we, uh, with which the Corinthians came together. They were thoughtless. And we'll see the carefulness which should characterize our coming together, all of our gatherings. So the the main headings of the sermon this morning are two, for those of you taking notes. First, how not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's easy enough, right? And then second, how to celebrate the Lord's Supper. How to rightly celebrate the Lord's Supper. And our aim in considering this is that we might be informed so that we might be conformed to the Word of God in our practice, individually and as a church. Now, someone may think this isn't a very important issue. You're talking about the right way to take the the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. You You just take it the way maybe you've always taken it. But to think about it this way is to completely ignore what Paul says in this passage. Getting this right is vital, first, to our nourishment in Christ and to our unity as a church. And, and Paul says here that God disciplines those who get it wrong. And I'm not in the habit of doing things that make me sick or could possibly get me killed. And so we ought to pay special attention to this when Paul says God disciplines those who do this in a, a wrong way. So first, let's consider how not to celebrate the Lord's Supper, taking the Corinthians as our example here. How not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul has no praise whatsoever for the Corinthians in this practice, in the practice of communion. When they came together as a church for the celebration, Paul says it's supposed to be for the better. Whenever you gather together as a church with the church, it's supposed to be for the building up of the body. But when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Doesn't it kind of sound like some old church business meetings maybe you've been a part of in the past? where it's not for the better. But Paul's saying, even in those situations, even 
in the midst of difficult maybe conversations that, you, that you're having with others, maybe there are strained relationships in the church, when you come together, it ought to be for the better. We ought to care for one another in love, even in uh, difficult times. But why does Paul say it's for the worse in this case? First, verse 18, when they come together, there are divisions among them. Paul's gotten this report along with several other reports about the church. And he may know that the, he, he may suspect there could be some exaggeration in, in this report. This is what he's saying. I, I believe this in part, um, but it wouldn't surprise him if there were some division. There must be factions among them, he says. That is, there must be a choosing of side in some sense because false teachers, remember, were trying to lead the Corinthians astray. And so if you have false teachers in the church, there better be some sort of division in the church. There must be because you must choose the side which is biblical versus the side which is uh, heretical. It's right for there to be division in the church if there are false teachers among you. But these divisions are, are of a different sort, the, the ones that Paul is addressing here. They are in particular related to the way they've been practicing communion, the Lord's Supper. Or we should say abusing this practice of the Lord's Supper. In, in fact, Paul says they have distorted it in, in such a way that when they actually do what they call the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper at all. They've distorted it so much it no longer is what they claim it to be. So a brief illustration. I was watching the NBA Finals the other night. Anybody else watch that? I don't know if it, maybe it's because I haven't watched the NBA in a long time. I typically watch the Finals, but the rest of the season I don't watch much of. But I couldn't believe what I was, I was watching. There were, uh, for those of you who know basketball, there were moving screens. Okay, that's illegal. You can't do that. If you try to block somebody, you can't just push them out of the way. Uh, there, were, there was major contact between players several times. I was like, there's no foul there? That's a foul. And not only that, several players carried the ball when they were dribbling it. And that probably takes place all over the NBA, doesn't it? For those of you who don't know, carrying is when you put your hand under the ball and dribble it like that. You can't do that. That's, that's, uh, the other team should get the ball. That's a, a violation. But it, it seemed to be such a distortion of what basketball is. It was like I wasn't even watching basketball anymore. It's like, what, what is this game? Where are the rules in this game? Well, this is what the Corinthians had done to the Lord's Supper. It wasn't the Lord's Supper anymore. It was just their own supper. It was just their own party time that they had together. It had morphed, it had morphed into a, an ordinarily, ordinary meal. And worse than that, it had morphed into a monster an ugly representation compared to what it should have been. Paul outlines the second reason it was bad when they came together in verse 21. In eating, here's why, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and the other gets drunk. Paul is at a loss for words for how these Corinthians are behaving. It's ridiculous. They've taken this sacred, holy occasion and turned it into an opportunity to fulfill their own desires. Apparently, uh, the practice in Corinth, and maybe in some other churches, was a, a bring-your-own-food occasion, a bring-your-own-drink event. So the rich came early and had all of, their, all of their food and all of their wine ready to go, and they enjoyed it. And the poor, however, 
who were perhaps slaves or hard labor, uh, involved in hard labor, they had to come late because of their work. And nothing was left by the time they got there. And in this practice, Paul says, you are despising the church of God by how you treat one another, by how you care for or don't care for one another. You are humiliating the poor brothers and sisters in this church. Now, this has an application, several applications for us in our gathering for the Lord's Supper, but also for all of our gatherings. What should we avoid in our gatherings and in the practice of the Lord's Supper together, main, mainly from this passage, two things we should avoid. First is open divisions among us. Open divisions in our relationships in the church. And second, a carelessness concerning our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to avoid these things. Open divisions, but then also a carelessness or a thoughtlessness when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ. If our meetings are bursting at the seams with people, if we have the most stirring music, if we have the most passionate sermons, if we have the most emotionally satisfying worship services and practice of the Lord's Supper, if we have all these things but there are open divisions among us, then we are coming together for the worse and not for the better. If we have all these things, but if we come only for an eye to what would please us individually or what would build us up individually, if we come with a thoughtlessness, a carelessness about one another, then we might as well not even come. Practically, what this will mean is striving to live by the covenant that we have made together as church members. Let me remind you of some of those commitments as I I looked back over our our membership covenant, the, the things that we have promised we will do for one another and with one another. Here are just a few of those things. I will attend church faithfully, give regularly, and pray earnestly for other members of the church. I will be slow to take offense and quick to forgive and seek forgiveness. These are ways we can be thoughtful concerning our brothers and sisters in Christ. I will exercise care and watchfulness over others. And I will open myself up to the watchfulness of others. I will refuse to participate in gossip and I will serve the ministry of the church. So brothers and sisters, test yourselves in these things. In these commitments we've made, would your actions be characterized by a kind of carelessness about these things or a careful consideration of how you might build one another up in Christ? Let's be careful that there are no divisions among us and let's be eager to fight against thoughtlessness and carelessness. It's so easy to to forget about one another. It's so easy to become careless in how we approach our gatherings together and our fellowship with one another. But let's be eager to fight against those temptations, those desires, merely for ourselves. So that's how we don't are not to celebrate the supper, but how are we to celebrate it rightly? How do we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a right or worthy manner. Three ways. And each of these ways, uh, if you're taking notes again, this will be helpful. Begin with uh, a few words. Paying careful attention. 
Okay, we celebrate the Lord's Supper rightly by paying careful attention, particularly to how the Lord instituted it. Second, to ourselves. And third, to the body of Christ. We celebrate it rightly by paying careful attention to how the Lord instituted the supper, by paying careful attention to ourselves, and then by paying careful attention to the body of Christ. Now with these points, I don't want you to get the impression that the Lord's Supper is mainly about something we do. It is something we do, no doubt about it. But a few weeks ago, we considered the nature of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 10. And remember, what we are doing in communion, we are being fed and nourished in Christ as we partake of the bread and the cup. Christ is feeding us spiritually. He's nourishing us and he is knitting us together in unity as a church when we do this. It is not merely a memorial, something we do as a remembrance. It is that, but it's more. It's not a way to do penitence to make ourselves worthy of God's favor. It is a means of God's grace to us. It is God blessing us with Christ and all his benefits. So it is mainly something God is doing in us and for us by his grace. But we do have a responsibility in the supper as well, mainly to be careful in how we observe it. And this is the exact opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. Their practice was characterized by carelessness, but ours must be characterized by carefulness. So first... We must pay careful attention to how the, Lord's, uh, how the Lord Jesus instituted the supper. So beginning in verse 23, Paul reminds the Corinthians, Look, this is what you should be doing. I delivered the practice to you just how I received it from the Lord. In other words, the content and practice of the Lord's Supper is defined by no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ our God and our Savior. So we should be, pay careful attention to how he established it. It was while Jesus was being betrayed by Judas Iscariot that the Lord took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can't just observe the Lord's Supper however you want to, in other words. You can't simply use crackers and soda as a replacement for the bread and the cup. And you can't observe it rightly without the words of institution, this is my body, this is my blood. In other words, we're not at liberty to do things how we want to do them just because of convenience or because we feel like it might be more meaningful if we did it some other way. It's the Lord's meal and we are bound by our consciences to follow how the Lord has established it. See, this is one of the problems with the statement, the methods change, but the message stays the same. Now, there may be some differences in how churches practice the Lord's Supper, but mainly in this case, the methods and the message both stay the same. And as we obey the Lord Jesus and how he instituted it, we can be sure that we are really and truly participating in Christ, remembering his sacrifice for us and proclaiming his death in anticipation of the day he will return. So first, we must pay careful attention to how the Lord instituted the supper. Second, we must pay careful attention to ourselves. 
the nature of the sacrament, what it is, tells us how important it is. Since the Lord himself instituted it, Paul says, whoever partakes in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So what, it, what are we to do instead? Paul says a person must examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In verse 31, there's also a, a different word used for judging ourselves or discerning, evaluating ourselves. So these two words tell us how we should be careful to pay attention to ourselves, how we should carefully evaluate ourselves. We should make a critical evaluation of ourselves concerning our sins, particularly our sins in regard to one another. So these actions are put in contrast with taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So to partake having examined yourself and evaluated yourself is to do so in a worthy manner. And some of you might say, I'm not worthy to to receive these elements. I'm not worthy to receive the bread or the cup. How could I ever be considered worthy to partake of this sacrament? I'm full of doubt and sin and corruption. How many of you this morning sinned as you were getting ready for church? Or yesterday you sinned in slothfulness or anger or some other way. You have sinned week in and week out. Every day this week you have sinned in thought, word, and deed. How could you possibly come in a manner worthy to take the bread and the cup? And some torture their consciences, trying to purify themselves of every small sin or great sin before they come to the table, thinking They need to be absolutely pure and righteous in order to take the bread and cup in a worthy manner. So, to that troubled soul, John Calvin has some very comforting words. He says, let us remember that this sacred feast is medicine to the sick. It is comfort to the sinner and bounty to the poor. While to the healthy, the righteous, the rich, if any could be found, it would be of no value. So he says, the best and only worthiness which we can bring to God is to offer him our own vileness. And if I may so speak, unworthiness, that his mercy may make us worthy. The righteous are not in need of this sacrament. It is we who are sinners who need his grace. Now, the particular examination that Paul probably has in mind for the Corinthians, is an examination regarding their relationships with others in the church. We can sometimes have a tendency to pull this text out of its context and not recognize the community aspect of the Lord's Supper here. You see at the beginning and at the end of this passage, he's talking about Uh, how they are coming together and how they're coming together. It's not for the better. They're not waiting for one another. They're going ahead with their own meal. It's about the community together. And so they ought to carefully consider their own hearts. They ought to examine themselves and their relationship to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Are they building up or are they tearing down? Probably most of us are eager to examine our, our own lives in our own hearts, our own personal sins at the supper. And I don't want to take away from that. 
I think that is an appropriate action to take as we examine ourselves. But I could, if I could, let me suggest to you adding something to that examination at the supper. And perhaps, in light of Paul's instruction in the context here, it should be a primary consideration. Examine yourselves concerning your brothers and sisters in Christ and your relationship with them. Consider not only if there are strained relationships or divisions among us, but also evaluate yourself regarding your responsibility to build one another up. Am I harming my brothers and sisters in some way? Am I neglecting some duty or responsibility that I have for this brother or for this sister? Am I praying regularly for them? Am I encouraging them? Am I building them up in the Lord? In our examination, our evaluation of ourselves, let us consider our unity in the church and how we might be better at promoting it, how we might take more initiative at strengthening one another. So we ought to examine ourselves in these things. Let me move to the third thing we must be careful about. In the supper, we must pay careful attention to how Jesus instituted We have to pay careful attention to ourselves and give a a proper evaluation of ourselves. And third, we must pay careful attention to the body of Christ. Verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, same word there about evaluating yourself, evaluating the body, discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So then we must evaluate ourselves truly, and we must evaluate or discern the body. And if we fail to, we will come under discipline. A physical discipline, Paul is talking about. Now we might be tempted to think that the body here refers to the church, the body of Christ. We speak of the body of Christ, the church. But this is... uh, He's referring actually to something different here. It's more likely that Paul is using the same word throughout this passage in a consistent way. And in that sense, it would refer to the body, the physical body of Jesus Christ. That is, not merely his physical body, but particularly his body which was broken for us. Jesus Christ in his humility and his suffering. In his brutal death on the cross for our sins. The Corinthians were approaching the supper with carelessness. But this is a somber and serious occasion. It is full of joy and cheerfulness that he has forgiven our sins. But it is joy mixed with reverence and fear. Because of what could happen if we take it in an unworthy manner. Because of his holiness We read throughout Scripture when people treat the spiritual things of God as trifles, they often are disciplined or they die. You don't treat the holy God as a trifle. You treat Him with reverence and fear and honor. To take the bread and the cup in a worthy manner is life and nourishment, but to take it in an unworthy manner could mean sickness and death. Now it's clear that this judgment is not the same as an ultimate judgment in hell. What Paul means here is discipline, not condemnation. It doesn't mean that every sickness we get is somehow 
connected to our sin in wrongly taking the supper. We don't have the knowledge to make to understand causality in that way. But we should learn from this the seriousness of Paul's charge to evaluate ourselves and to discern the body as we are partaking of it. To evaluate Jesus' body broken for us. And so we are going to partake of the supper this morning. And so why don't we take a few moments to evaluate, discern the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. You remember, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he was being betrayed, betrayed, that he instituted the supper. At the very moment that one of his disciples, his own disciples, those close to him, was turning him over to be killed, he offered his own body and blood. And while we were far off, while we were sinners, while you were in the midst of your sins, rebellious against God and all the things of God, he sent his own son who offered up his body for you. Like the bread separates when you pull it apart, Jesus' body was pulled out of joint for you. His body was broken. His flesh and muscles and ligaments were pierced by the nails. His side was split open and the water and blood poured out. He says, take, eat, this is my body. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord told his people about this new covenant many years prior through the prophet Jeremiah, saying in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. What is the basis of this covenant that God makes? It is nothing less than the blood of Jesus poured out for the sins of his people. On the authority of God's word, I declare to all of you who are in Christ Jesus through faith. Because of God's covenant with you on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus God forgives your sins and remembers your sins no more. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Your sins are no more because of Christ. And it's all because of Him. It's all because Jesus, in His body, took the place of your body on the cross. His life for yours when He died for you. So then... As we partake of the bread and the cup, let us pay careful attention to these things. Let us pay careful attention to to ourselves, to our relationships. Let us pay careful attention to the body which Christ has given to us and for us for the forgiveness of sins.
Our Heavenly Father, as we, as we have heard your word and now as we are about to partake of the bread and the cup, we pray that you would stir in us a great joy with holy reverence. And we would recognize the seriousness, the holiness of what we are doing. Not that, not that the bread or the cup changes physically in some way, but that you are here among us, feeding us by Christ and all his benefits. Give us your favor, Lord. Not because of our worthiness in and of ourselves, but because of the worthiness of Christ for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.